0: Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet, bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up, and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys, welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week, on the show, four years in the making, Cade. Simpson. If you follow footy in any way, you'd have to know the name. Simo's career spanned across multiple generations, having played 342 games over 18 years. He's one of the most beloved players in the AFL for the way he's carried himself over his tenure. We talk about Simo's road to the AFL and how he endured and reached 342 games, including a streak of 162. The highs and lows of the Carlton Footy Club and sharing his feelings on the departures of six coaches over his career, playing with and against some of the absolute greats, including Anthony Coutafides and Andrew McLeod, and then modern day jets like Sam Walsh and Matt Rao. As you've heard, Simo's love for the game has not wavered and still wants to be involved as much as possible. Let's watch this space very exciting times. Cannot thank Simo enough for coming in. Absolutely love this man as I'm sure you do too. Let's go. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast. Many ways I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears. Strength. I'm
1: like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to Next. the Olympics?
0: <laughs> They're sitting there meditating going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. Like, How good is this? Uh, I'm
1: meditating. So, <laughs> I had a Wu-Tang call. So I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Love it's it. knuckle puck
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Wow. Well. Wow. Well. I don't know what to say. I'm excited, Simo. I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous. I've got. I've, I just had a heat flush come through me. This is an exciting day for me. Having one of my biggest heroes, mentors, friends heroes again to come into the studio this is honestly i say this a lot when it comes in but it's taken probably four years to get this happening and it's exciting time so kate simpson welcome to the dylan friends podcast my friend
1: thanks for having me Dill. um yeah i'm actually really nervous <laughs> as well mate i actually don't know what we're gonna talk about so no i'm uh yeah I'm, as you said hot flashes i just got that i'm,
0: I'm sweating already I, I think it's just the friendship mate what we say here Never leaves the podcast besides everyone that listens to it. So don't stress about that. So Mace, it's uh it's it's an honor to have you. I'm very excited. Um, as you said, you're, you're a bit of a recluse. You you are one of the you know, games great players. You're the nearly are you the games record holder or cold? No, no. No. Yeah, okay. we am not happy about that. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, mate, you are honestly a superstar of the game and, and no one has had the one-on-one chance with with Cade Sims. And so Dylan Buckley sitting down today. It's big for me. Hopefully it's big for you. And um, I'm excited to get into it.
1: Let's go.
0: Okay. Well, first thing I want to bring up, and I know you listen to the show, so you love it. I like to talk about first impressions of how we first met. And I feel like they're going to be very different because, as I said, uh, one of my favorite players to play the game, one of my favorite teammates um, that I've had the fortune of playing with. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always Simo and Dil, best mates, chatting here, there and everywhere. There was the first two years of my career where we sat next to each other And you would not speak to me for two years?
1: Um, Oh, I'm naturally a shy person. Um, Sort of, yeah, shy away from the limelight, shy away from unsuspecting characters (laughs) like yourself. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I was probably just feeling you out a little bit. Um, But you're probably total opposite to me. You're not shy at all. So you got straight in there. Um, Yeah, I think you probably tried to knock out the wall between us so we could share think, lockers.
0: I thought that we were going to start sharing lockers together. I was looking at subdividing our block. <laughs> I was always looking at expansion. I know we're both big into property. So, no, I did, mate. And I think that anyone that's had the pleasure of playing with you and, and knowing you, I think the the beauty of that and, and anyone that knows you would say this is, when you're mates with Simo, you know you're mates with Simo because it takes a long time to break down those walls. And I did take that. I did break down those walls. It took a long time. And today, hopefully, mate, we can give a bit of an insight into who you are because, as I said, you are a private man and, and that's that's awesome. It's actually one of the things that I love about you, that you are so private and you are so unassuming. You just go about your business. 346 AFL games. 42. Fucking <laughs> how's he start today? 342 AFL games. And uh, and and yeah, you, you know, not many people know a lot about you. So hopefully we, today we can we can um, uncover a few of those things. There's one thing that I really want to just get to off the top of the bat, and it's one thing that I've held close to my chest for a long time, and I want to get your opinion on it. In 2014, we were rooming together in Arizona. <laughs> do you remember this?
1: Uh, I think so. We, we were rooming together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you and actually, I. I do. Yeah. We we'll do. Yeah.
0: And you and I are both quite competitive. Wrestling, we, we used to like wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we used to like wrestling yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, you know, as people do, you like to wrestle. And there was a day there where we had a wrestle, and I think this story sums you up. So I, I wanted to tell it. And we were wrestling, and it got pretty heated. We, we were really wrestling, and I was beating you. <laughs> I was actually beating you. And I fully had you and it got to the stage where you were so angry, you were so determined and you had so much grit that I was like, I've just got to let this bloke win because he's (laughs) going to kill me if I don't let him win. And I think in a way that sums up you, you are just this, the most hardworking, unassuming dog to the, like you are just this, oh geez, you're a competitive beast. And I just wanted to, to, to set that story. Do you remember that?
1: I didn't until you brought it back. I do remember wrestling in the snow quite often over there. Um, Yeah, which was probably fun at the time. And, yeah, I don't don't know. I have been told I'm competitive a lot, but a lot of the time I don't really like competing against mates, but I hate losing as well, which – Probably not great for my career. Um, there was <laughs> plenty of losses there, but yeah, it just really, yeah, sh- really shoot me.
0: Yeah, it did that day. You are a very competitive man, which we will get into. Mate, take us back. Young um, Cade Simpson growing up in Emerald. Uh, for all those who don't know, Emerald is in the eastern suburbs of-, of Victoria, famous for the Puffing Billy, which is something that you would say at every single <laughs> clinic that we went to, so I know it for a fact. Um, what was childhood like growing up for you, mate, um, out in the eastern suburbs, young man, playing footy and, and riding the and <laughs> Uh
1: Yeah, it was um, a great place to grow up, um, just sort of quite bushy, classed as metropolitan, but yeah, it was quite sort of country, sort of small town. Um, yeah, grew up, lived uh, not far from the footy ground, so yeah, footy was was a big part of my life. Um yeah, but yeah, I don't know, walked home from school, um, didn't catch Puffing Billy, but walked <laughs> along the train lines um, to get home. Um, but yeah, it was just a great place to grow up, only about an hour from the city as well. So,
0: And the Emerald Bombers were the, the home team?
1: They were.
0: Now, I, am, I hope I'm not being rude when I say this, but a young Cade Simpson playing for the Emerald Bombers at a young kid, could you fast forward to think that you would have played 342 AFL games of footy?
1: Uh, no, definitely not. Um, and probably I was probably a late bloomer a little bit. Like I was a good local footballer, um, like always one of the best in the team. But once I sort of got to sort of 14, 15, when all those rep sides were starting, I was n- never in there. Um, and so once I was sort of 16, 17, I'd, I'd almost put a line through the, the dream of playing AFL. And then just lucky enough, uh, bottom age, 18s, I think Eastern Rangers were going pretty, pretty shit out. So. They started recruiting for the next year, and um, I ended up getting getting a training spot and going down there at the back end of the year as a seventeen year old. Um, and because they were going so bad, they started to almost play some young guys just to plan for next year. And um, yeah, played a couple of handful of games at the end of the year, and then the whole next year, um, yeah, played all then represented Victoria and Australian and all some was drafted. So within sort of fifteen months. Um, Went from kicking the footy around with some local mates um, to, yeah, on Carlton's list.
0: It's hectic, man. Do you think, and I'm not putting words in your mouth here, this is just a question because it it reminds me of another one of my mates that was like this. But do you think sometimes the development of not getting in those teams early was because of how quiet you were? Do you reckon that had something to play with it?
1: Yeah, I reckon. um, I was pretty... Pretty thin as well, um, quite small, but, yeah, I was obviously shy as well, so I'd never – I wouldn't speak up in meetings or, um, yeah, if someone else wanted to play on ball, I'd be like, oh, yeah, not worry. Do it. I'll go sit in the forward pocket but, or, or well, That's really
0: out. funny because I know for a fact that you weren't like that in <laughs> AFL system when I got there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange. Um, I suppose a bit of confidence and, um, yeah, I, I just – I was almost changed when I got out onto the footy field once AFL sort of started that – yeah, that, that competitive person came out and um, if talking or, yeah, that sort of stuff was going to help me to win or help the team to win, I'd, I'd do it. So, um, But, yeah, off the field, totally different.
0: Mm, mm. It's, it, is, it is crazy because I think, as, as we'd say, like a lot of people might not have heard you talking death and for about yourself and I know you hate talking about yourself and pumping yourself up, but I'll be doing the majority of that today. But it is so true, you know. Off off field, you are a quite a quiet guy. Once you get to know you, it's not like you don't. You, you actually are in the change rooms. You're actually quite funny sometimes. Um, sometimes, but once you get on field, you do change. Your demeanour changes. Um, you're obviously vice captain of the Carlton for X amount of years, and I feel like I hope that Carlton supporters, well, Carlton supporters would definitely agree with me about this. But I think in all. Sums of footy you judge people on premierships, obviously, that's one thing. But I think the the second biggest thing you judge people on is when they stand up in big games. And that always seemed to be something that you did. Was that something that was like a young you did as a young player or was that something you grew into later on? Um
1: oh, probably through juniors. I've played in a few grand finals and played pretty well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's just a, when the game is on the line or it is a big game, that's just the Competitiveness takes over again and goes up another level. Um, you you want to lift and you do everything you can for the team to win. So um, sometimes you probably go out of your way, which is to the detriment. But other times, yeah, it might come off and uh, you look a, bit, a little bit better.
0: Mm. No, mate, you definitely did. We'll get into that a bit later, uh, a bit more later on. Talk us through uh, getting to the Blues. So you get there as a young man. Obviously, uh, you're quite smaller than a lot of guys. Um, it's, it's well reported your first three games were, were three games of zero touches, which is which is impressive in itself. Do you count them? For the, is it no. is that why? So it was 346, but you count, you taken them <laughs> off? Or? No, I,
1: I don't know. Like it's going back now, I've played so many that, yeah, I'd probably say 339 is probably um, a better number to go <laughs> no. off. Maybe once I got to – 303 I'm like yes I've actually played
0: 300. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fair um first getting the blues what was it light like? walking in the doors then? so who Shane O'Sullivan drafted you
1: yeah Shano was the recruiting manager um Zee Carlton lost their picks one and two so
0: and, that was Brendan Goddard
1: yeah Goddard and Daniel Wells and I reckon they might have lost pick 20 something as well um so I was their first pick for the for the um, draft at 45. Um. Yeah. First, I still remember the first day actually getting to the club. Like there was a pin code to get in, and I didn't want to be late, so I ended up being about an hour and a half, two hours early, um, and couldn't get into the club. And then the first person that rocked up was Brett Ratton, the captain. Um. So he sort of, and then eventually got locker number six between the Captain and the vice captain, Andrew McKay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was, um, yeah, it was a pretty daunting. Start just a skinny little kid, I just sort of sat there quietly, made sure, unlike yourself, I made sure my bag was tight <laughs> and didn't sort of spread over <laughs> into their locker areas. Um, yeah, so yeah, but amazing when you walk into the club and you see these guys that you have just watched on TV, like Camparelli and Kutafides, and as I said, Ratten and McKay. Um, and then and Dennis Pagan as coach, a guy who one of the greatest coaches of all time, had just got to the club as well. So, um, yeah, a lot exciting um, to get there as well, but, yeah, really nervous. too.
0: Who were some of the guys – like, saying those names then, it sounds surreal because they're like some absolute superstars there. Was, who were some of the guys that really took you of the wing or the guys that you just looked at when like, shit, you know? Like, for me, when I first got to Carlton – it was incredible luck, and I'm not just saying this to pump you up, but as a kid, you know, I walked in supporting the Blues. So I walk in, I'm in a locker next to you. I'm, I'm near Chris Judd, Matty Cruiser. for some reason, and for good reason because he was an absolute superstar. I was in awe of Jared Waite as a kid. I just love Watt. And then when I met him, I was like, you're not what I thought you were going to be, Watt, but I still love you. Well, who were some of those guys that I suppose you really idolised looking at, and then who were the guys that actually took you under their wing and probably helped you out in the first couple of years?
1: I probably looked at guys who were similar that I thought were similar players or maybe a player that I wanted to sort of try and emulate. Um, so Scott Camparelli um, was a big one, Matty Lappin, so a couple of the sort of skinner, skinnier guys. Um, and whether they took me under their wing, I'm not too sure, but I really just watched closely what they did and, and sort of compared myself to them, whether it was in time trials or um, that sort of stuff. Um and then as as I got sort of probably a little bit older, even guys coming in like Andrew Walker, um, ultimate professional, I always – and this probably goes back to the competitive stuff as well. I'd sort of compete with those sort of guys come when you come back from off-season with your skin folds and time trials and all that sort of stuff, but I wouldn't tell them that I was competing yeah. with them. <laughs> which would give you more chance of winning, of course. Yeah. But um, you always be checking up on uh, what their skin folds would be and – Every time I'd be running over the break or whatever, I'd be like trying to make sure I'm doing actually more than every other guy on the list um, just because I'd be in my head, I'd be like, oh, I've got to make sure I run a better time than him or have lower skin folds than that person.
0: Comes it's, back. it's actually funny because I remember, um, and, and this is just a memory sticking out, like obviously I was very annoying to you, not just as annoying, but I would always try and emulate you and do everything you did. And I remember one year I was like, yeah, I'm training with Simo every time you train. So – I'd come and train with you, but then there'd be days where I was there and you were already there training without me. So, like, I was like, why the fuck is this guy? Like, we're meant to be training together, but you were always doing more and you wouldn't tell me. So now, you know, obviously I knew what was going on. It made sense. But how severe was that for you? Like that mindset, we talk about those mind games and it's something that I probably didn't pick up enough on when I played footy, but I try and do it now in other other forms of life. How serious was that for you? Like how obsessive did it get? Because I can really remember some things.
1: Yeah, it, um, and probably as I got older, I thought that I needed to do like more because I was aging, and um, so probably from 20, twenty-eight onwards, maybe like I would compete. So every time it was an off-season, I would compete against the previous off-season. So if I did a shitload of running the previous off-season, I'd be like, "Fuck, I've got to do more running than that next time." And then after a few years, you get to a stage where like, I actually can't do more running. So. Then you go to diet. All right, I've got to make sure my diet's better than the previous year. And if once you do five, six years in a row of doing that, it's almost like fuck. I actually can't, can't cram get any more in. So you end up with multiple pre-seasons, and we haven't missed a session. Or you're coming back like in PB form for day one of pre-season, um, or starting training as soon as the season finishes, almost just to try and get those couple of extra sessions under your belt to make sure you do more than the previous year. Um, So that was. Pretty full on, and um, it was tiring at the time. But um, I sort of enjoyed doing it. And the older I got, I knew that I needed to do it to stay in the game and to be able to perform at the level that I wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's I probably wish I'd started doing it a bit earlier, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's so it's so strange to hear that because it's, it's I, I think looking at players that I've you know played with and had the benefit of playing with, and I think that knowing this was the way that you were thinking now. You look at most guys that were in your boat, like you would always come back to training early, as you said. A lot of guys, the older they get, the less they try and do in terms of, you know, keeping themselves right. You actually went the complete opposite and were like, no, I've got to do what these young guys are doing and stay with them.
1: Yeah, I um, it was funny because I actually I heard, um, I think it was Lee Montagna talking as he was sort of around that 30-year-old 30, 30 mark and he was talking, I think it was about Boomer Harvey and, and Boomer was like, no, I train every session. And it just sort of – it just clicked with me that the more you can do in the off-season or pre-season or whatever, that the better off you'll be um, during the year and just help your recovery. Um, yeah, so as I got older, yeah, I just trained more and I think it really helped performance but also longevity And because it just wasn't a, wasn't a big jump in increased loads for – from off-season to pre-season because I'd already been smashing myself over the off-season that pre-season was like, oh, I'm just doing what I was already doing. So you didn't get those sore after a big jump in volume or whatever. You weren't pulling up sore from it and you could just keep churning out the Ks.
0: It's great. Like you were the most durable player in the AFL. Played 158 games in a row. Really missed preseason. really missed sessions. Do you think that a lot of players have it wrong in terms of, you know, like, Missing these sessions trying to keep fresh. Is it actually in your opinion, is it about that continuity and getting your body right? Because I feel even in my I look back now and I thought, oh, I'm getting a bit older now, I'll try and do what these guys do and take it easy. And I was I was just always injured. And I think if I if I had to just been more consistent and just try to stay in the same routine, your body just gets used to it.
1: Yeah, I reckon that's spot on. And I was probably the same at sort of 27, 28, it would be like I'd play And recover all week barely getting back out on the track um, and then play again and it just was a a cycle and until I heard sort of Lee Montagna talk about Boomer Harvey who Mm. games record holder and I was just like that just sort of made so much sense that you just need to do do more almost so that game day is just easier and then rolling out after game day and, and I did a lot of recovery as well as I got older just to make sure I was right to train as well so all the ice bars and Pilates and stretching and just, just getting moving after games, whether it was walking the dog or um, going into the club on the day off to do ICs and um, maybe more Pilates, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I reckon if you can do more and force yourself to get out and go for a run after, especially after games, just to get moving rather than just sitting sitting down knowing I'm going to be sore for the next few days, um, yeah, movement's key, I
0: reckon. I think someone that has a similar mindset to that and it'd be good to get your opinion on this is Heath Scotland. So he was probably the most banged up bloke like I've ever seen. Like he, I, I feel like he had a broken ankle for the last two years of his career, but he just ran through it. And we do these um, tempo runs on a mon- on a Monday morning every Monday. Say the games on Saturday, you'd have Sunday recovery. Monday, you'd be doing these tempo runs, and the tempo's in the word template, like, It's meant to be a tempo pace up and back. He Scotland would race. Every- he would not let anyone beat him in it, and he was the oldest bloke. Was he older the oldest bloke? He would have been the yeah. oldest bloke at that stage um, on the list. Who were some of the guys like Heath, like Walks um, that you really admired for the way they trained and, and competed with, without them even knowing that you know, they were competing with you?
1: Yeah, uh, the funny thing about Scotto as well, whenever you know when he's had a, a big night out yeah. because he would absolutely flog the shit out of himself yeah. on the track. So if he if we played Saturday and he we had Sunday off and he'd been on the on the piss all weekend, <laughs> that Monday morning, he would absolutely flog the shit out of And he'd,
0: he'd like be running in jumpers, beanies, everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, when you did see him flogging himself, you're like, fuck, Scott has been on. All- yeah. he's had a big weekend. <laughs> uh,
0: um, those guys are who else sort of comes to mind, uh, mind in terms of work rate that you loved?
1: Yeah, um, probably oh, – there's, there's a few. Like Andy Carrazzo was an amazing trainer, yeah. Um, yeah, walks was, walks was a big one. Um, I'm trying to think. i played with so many guys, like even like Ed Curnow, but I wasn't on his level as a runner. Um, but, yeah, I always found as well, like if you could just hang on to the best runners, so say the best five runners at the club, if you'd always put yourself in that group and even if you're at the back of that group, you're probably at the front of every other group. Um, so I'd always try and run with the best runners. So the last few years – um, Ed Kerno, Sammy Walsh coming in, um, all those sort of guys, Charlie Kerno, Marchbank, those sort of guys. Um, but yeah, I think like anyone who was who was lean or had a really elite diet, um, elite trainer, I'd try and latch on to or compare GPS numbers at the end of end of sessions and stuff. Sammy Doherty is probably a big one as well. Probably the last five years actually. Uh, well, he's obviously missed a couple, but we would do everything together whether it was running um training but all our running sessions and stuff uh, around training were together and probably pushed each other which made each other better Mm. Um, especially as I was getting older trying to keep up with him and and um do everything that he was doing um probably made him be a better player as well
0: yeah 100% man what about um Chris Judd, what what would you say about Judd, man? That you sort of learned anything from him?
1: Yeah, just his oh, his preparation, like the amount of injuries he had, but like the way he knew his body. Um, Pilates was a big one of his. Funny thing, Judd man, he. I think he actually needled like on. I think you spoke to him about yeah. needling himself. He needled me in Arizona because <laughs> I think one of the physios went home, so we were, we were down a down a physiotherapist. Um, so <laughs> the judge man was was needling. I think yeah, was glutes or ITB or something. But yeah, so so his professionalism, his diet, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when he was training, he he trained bloody hard as well. So. Um, and that's the thing. I probably didn't ask him too many questions about it, but definitely took notice of the way he went about it. Um, and I actually really liked the way he, he's a bit of an out there thinker, like mm. the way he looked at the way he looks at life, but the way he looked at the game and stuff. It just wasn't it was sort of outside the box. Um, his ideas, his and, and he was always probably looking for different ways to get better as well, which is why he probably sort of thought outside the box.
0: Yeah, he definitely did. Definitely. When did the penny drop for you though to get? to this stage like you said earlier the first few years it probably wasn't there was there like a moment that you thought like I've actually got to start like developing these skills like was there a specific moment that happened in your career um I'm not too sure like once I'd sort of
1: established myself as a player yeah I, I don't really remember back that I did heaps of sessions or sort of just did what the program was prescribed and, um, that was probably enough to just get me through and, and, and play okay footy. Um, but I think f- like football is just so competitive now and like everyone does the program and probably a little bit more. So I think i I wanted success more than anything. Um, and uh, I was always optimistic that it wasn't too far away, but, um, it was probably a mile away. Um, but, yeah, I just always wanted to give myself the best chance mm. at having that. And um, so, yeah, I reckon maybe the last last decade of my career, maybe like 25, 26, so that's when I just sort of, sort of thought that the program will only get you so far. And, and I think everyone probably does a little bit more than the program. So it was sort of like you got to do a program a little bit more and then stuff away from um, – away from the club as well and there was a little saying that probably hit home was um not what you do from nine to five but from five to nine Mm -hmm. um so that was sort of a big one so yeah the the other stuff like the diet and stuff what you're doing at home or recovery and stuff um yeah i think maybe yeah 27 28 probably the time i really clicked
0: the one thing that you know i've spoken about this a lot on on the podcast and especially to other people is is something that I really learned from you and as you said earlier about outside thinking and not just conforming to what coaches say or strength and conditioning people say was the fact of, of putting on weight and it was something that we would always speak about and, you know, I probably listened too much about trying to get too heavy and get big and not realising it actually wasn't good for my body because I couldn't carry that weight and it wasn't good for me, but I'd just break down. Something you always did and you stayed true to you, you know, you really believed in yourself and you knew that, you didn't have to be the biggest bloke, you didn't have to be the strongest bloke, but it was all about just how you felt. Was there stages when you actually didn't know that and you just had to work it out by yourself like, you know, I need to just feel comfortable in myself and I'm happy to just be this weight because, you know, a lot of players still, they – you know, Kripa even said last year he thought, oh, I have to put on weight, I have to do this, but it's more just about, you know, working out your exact weights.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and I think my second or third pre-season, I, pre-season, I got to – I think it was, I was wrapped that I was, I'd hit like 81 kilos mm. and in an off-season. Se- off um, I was probably a bit, I don't know, I it was 81 kilos. A lot of it was probably fat, but yep. I was, yeah, I was so pumped and then it was the worst pre-season of my life. I just remember Tony Liberatore was one of the assistant coaches and him just running up these hills and him with his hand on my back just pushing me up <laughs> pushing me up this hill and I was just like, This is fucked. I hate like I just couldn't move. Like Mm. my time trials were horrible. Um but that was that was sort of how the game was played. It was a contested game and um a lot of the coaching was probably still a bit old school in like you need to be big, you need to be strong, you need to be powerful. Um and then probably the game just evolved to suit me better that Mm. you needed to be able to run. You needed to be um and as soon as I sort of establish myself, I think you just find ways to compete at whatever size you are. And it's probably the good thing about AFL football is that it's for all, all shapes and sizes, and so you can always sort of find someone um, small and skinny to uh, match up on.
0: Going back three hundred uh, odd games, a lot of games, a lot of games to remember. Talk us through some of your favourite wins and favourite moments playing with the Blues. What what really stands out? Is there any games like obviously I think your three hundreds for the massive one. Very emotional game. Um, that was that was awesome that, that we, we could get up for that one. What else sort of stands out in the career?
1: There was wasn't many finals, but um, the two finals. We I think one was against Essendon, eighty eight thousand or something. There um, was a good one in twenty eleven, I reckon. Yeah. Um, and then the the final against Richmond, ninety four thousand, like probably seventy five thousand of them were Tiger supporters. Um, but I still remember that roar when Richmond ran out. We were already out in the ground, um, and that was that was deafening. Um, them coming out, um, so those two sort of wins where we, especially the Richmond one, weren't really tipped to win and and got over the line. Um, yeah, the two fiftieth was I think the one you were talking about where it was Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide. Yep, yeah. I so that, that was that. a um, that was a pretty special win, and and the milestone itself. Like I was, I've. I was almost sick going into that game. I, was like, I just hated all the build up and hated the media and everything about it was just like, oh, I fucking just want this to be over with. Yeah. Um, and then, and that's what probably my mindset, I made sure I changed my mindset when I got to the 300th. I was like, no, I'm just going to, whatever they say, yeah, just embrace it, say yes to whatever, um, try and enjoy the week. And I felt so much better going into that game. Um, but yeah, the 250th was like two goals down with a couple of minutes to go and to, Fall over the line, um, yeah, it was sort of a bit of relief but also just the build-up of the week and stuff just probably made the – in my own head, made the game bigger than it was.
0: I suppose it, it when it's – you know, you were one of only X amount of players to be able to do that, so the club's always going to build up those big occasions and knowing you personally, I can I can always remember not being there at the time for the 300th but just knowing how much you really would have hated that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was um, – <laughs> Yeah, I feel sorry for our media people who (laughs) are running through that and trying to get me to do stuff and, yeah, but I I reckon I was better for my 300th one. I was tried to say yes to a lot of things and um, knew it was going to be a big deal and not just for myself but for the club and and, um, my family and stuff as well. So, yeah, tried to buy into it as much as I could and, yeah, I've definitely felt better going into the game that it wasn't such a burden. Um, Yeah, unfortunately didn't get the result but –
0: You did, you did, you did, my friend. Uh, what's, I suppose, other things looking back besides um, Carlton games? You played a lot of international rules, footy. Playing for Australia, pulling on the Australian goods, you must be special. I think two, 2006 you actually won the best on – is that the Jim Steins?
1: Yeah, Jim Steins. Uh, that was 2008, I reckon,
0: yeah. Okay. You won that? Yep. Yeah. How special and, was that?
1: Yeah, well, I think in 2006, I reckon I was twenty. I was 22, 23 maybe – um, and toured Ireland, but it, like Kevin Sheedy was the coach. I'd only played maybe 40, 40 games of AFL. How'd you, uh, how do you get? How do they work those squads like? So that, I reckon that might have been the first year they'd done it. Where so it used to be the All Australian. You had to be an Australian member to play, and then oh, I think Ireland kept winning. So then Australia goes, "Oh fuck it, we're going to pick the best side to suit the game." Mm-hmm. Um, so being quite a quick game and stuff. Uh, I'd sort of established myself as a bit of a running running player in the AFL, so yeah, got the call up late, and it was unbelievable. Like those guys, Dustin Fletcher, Michael Voss. Um, as I said, Sheedy was the coach. Jim Stein Stein's was actually one of the coaches as well. Um, so to spend the weekend, uh, like a couple of weeks in Ireland with him, one um, and other legends of the game was pretty special. Um, and then I th- you sort of make a lot of friends as well um from other clubs like that's why I've, i did it four times because i just loved a couple of weeks hanging out with guys that you compete against you actually sort of and then you see them and play them later in in life um out in, out in the g and after the game you catch up and you still talk about going to ireland six years ago like it was something that i loved doing so anytime i got the chance to i'd um so i did two in australia and two over in ireland which was um yeah amazing
0: One thing that keeps jumping out today is when you say names of players that you've played with like Michael (laughs) Voss, these guys, I just keep forgetting like how many years you actually played for. Talk us through some of these. Who were some of the players that were like really at the back end of their career when you started? And then obviously like probably the last year was Sam Walsh. So just to show like who some of these guys are that people wouldn't be really surprised that you actually played with. Like you played with Fev? Yeah, so Fev, Kuda. (laughs) <laughs> you play with Cruder
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago, Did you play with um, Braddles? <laughs> do, do, do
0: Do Do you play with
1: Braddles? Nah, I think I missed Brattles by a year. Probably could. I, I, I remember him coming back as like a assistant coach or just helped out coaching when Rats was coach, And he was just – well, the whole preseason would be up the front of all the running. <laughs> um, guys that I played against, so like some are like greats, like Buckley, Heard, Voss, um, Rusciuto, uh, Andrew McLeod. Yeah, hectic. I remember. I remember trying to tag Andrew McLeod. He was playing at halfback one day, and I had to try and tag him, and oh, it was a nightmare. Like he's just no respect to me. And any time, like I felt like I was in a good spot, he would then just be around the back, yeah. getting an uncontested handball or something. And I was just like, this is fucking like nightmare.
0: Um, my heart skipped a beat before when you said Craig Bradley. Now, do you remember what happened? <laughs> I've never told this story before. <laughs> I don't even know if have I should. Have you still
1: worked it out? Have you worked it out yet?
0: Kate, I've got to tell this story. It, it is seriously, one. it still keeps me up at night and I still do not know to this day what has happened in this situation. So to, to tell the story straight, we just played, I think we'd played round one and we'd come in the next day for a recovery session and I'm sitting next to my locker and I'm sitting with you and I've got like six missed calls from this number. And I was like, Simo, have you got this number? Like not thinking you'd actually have it. You had it and it came up, Craig Bradley. I was like, fuck, Like, what's what's going on here? Don't, this is not funny. This is not funny.
1: No, it's not.
0: It's not funny. And someone – anyway, I called back Bradles. He said, mate, I'm at the university cafe. Um, you said that we're going to come meet for a coffee. And I was like, um, Bradles, mate, I just got off the training track. I have – like, I'm not too sure what happened here. Are you sure you got the, the right person? Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't call you. <laughs> and he said, mate, this is, you know, Craig Bradley. Like, you called me last night. He said, you want to catch up for a coffee? I've taken the day off work. I'm here waiting for you. <laughs> and I was, like, rattled. At this stage, I'm on the phone in the change rooms. All, everyone's around me, like, going, what the hell is going on? Because they've got wind that Craig Bradley's on the phone and I'm sitting in the change rooms trying to say that, look, I didn't call, but we're here to go. Long story short... Someone has pranked Craig Bradley, said it's me, and that I want to meet them tomorrow for a coffee at a, a place. I still feel sick and so bad about this that he's actually gone there. I'm still at training. I went into the team meeting. I'm with him the whole time. I'm rattled. I thought it was him. Someone was playing a joke on me someone had called him as I said I got called into a meeting with the coach Shane O'Sullivan Stephen Silvani and they're questioning me on why I would prank the club's greatest player and do this to everyone I was like I did not do this even my dad got called like everyone was got called like mate what is wrong with you this is not funny so still to this day I don't know who did that I'd
1: I'd forgotten about until you brought it up but yeah I was that's a funny one. I don't know why they <laughs>
0: – I think so. I, I don't know even if one of the boys would have done this because even if they did, it obviously went too far because it like it's –
1: a, it's a, Yeah, it's a massive call. But surely there's just some sort of miscommunication somewhere. Maybe someone's asked him, is there any other Buckleys
0: out there? That- no, because he's – no. Like I've I've rattled this in my brain, cage for a long time and I still can't work <laughs> it out but – I just felt so bad. But I just remember going up to, you know, Sauce and then being like, mate, why would you do that? And I was like, I didn't fucking do this. Like, I, have, I wouldn't do it. Why would I book a chat in when I got training on? Like, I'm not that stupid. They thought that, like, I'd stuffed up the dates and just denied it. <laughs> anyway, shout out to whoever that was because um, you stitched us all up a beauty and it was one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me before. So, I appreciate it. Sim, early in the career, there's an infamous story about a car getting <laughs> stolen. What, what is this? I, I actually don't know this one.
1: Yeah, so I think it was my first year. Um, So I'm pretty sure we had a club golf day, Um, and I stayed at I stayed at home my first year and a bit, I think. Um, So I'd always so I drive. I think I drove to the club. Good mate, Brad Fisher, as well. There's no point both of us driving to the other side of fucking Victoria for a golf golf day. So I left my car at the club, jumped in with him. After the golf day, we're heading back to (laughs) heading back to the club. To Pick up my car and all I, we must have been oh, around Kiel or something like that. And this car starts coming towards us. i like, Oh, he comes. A, it was a VL Commodore. And I was like, Oh,
0: yeah. Simo 06, <laughs> <laughs> number plate <eight>, Simo 06. <laughs> oh, True or false? Oh, yeah, the Simo 06 was a number plate. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> oh, that's bad. It's so bad. I didn't know this. So, I
1: the, the car I bought off my brother, um, and he had. I think he had Simo 30 oh, Simo something like that yeah. Um, yeah fuck me I don't know what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh, Simo 6 Unheard of isn't it Anyway oh, it's been shit. It's been someone oh, Fuck <laughs> um, Yeah so anyway Coming Coming It's just coming towards us I'm like fucking This looks like mine And then fucking there it goes Straight past I'm like fucking my car yeah. <laughs> So anyway U-Bolt Start following them um, on the phone to the cops. I reckon we followed them for so we were like pretty much tailing them. We weren't like chasing them or yeah, anything. Yeah, just to follow you know? where they go. Just, going. Yeah. We was just um, tailgating them and just, uh, yeah, on the phone to the cops, just directing them, telling them where we are, what's happened, blah, 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 blah. Stayed on the line for probably 20, 30 minutes. Um, and then all of a sudden, just these cop cars just fucking come from nowhere. <laughs> and the operator that I was on the phone to, were like, all. Oh, just pull over, stop. There are and like as the sirens were going, the my car's like sped off and full Oh they chase it. Full chase everything over medium strips, everything. Um, but we yeah, we got told to stop. So we didn't pursue that. Um I think they ended up getting away. They just ditched the car somewhere and but yeah, then like when I remember picking up the car like a couple of weeks later. And they were like, yeah, we rode off, rode off a cop car ch- chasing it. So it was like a
0: full, <laughs> full, on. full cop chase. What, what were the people doing? What did they catch him? Or no? No, I don't think so. They're just
1: um, yeah,
0: Simo what? Six fans.
1: Simo, it must have been.
0: It must have got the number plate.
1: <laughs> actually, when I sold it, I actually sold it with the number plate.
0: Oh, I can't believe that the amount of slack that you used to give Nick Graham, poor Nicky <laughs> Graham, when he rocked up to the club. <laughs> Nick Graham used to have a car called Nicky Five, and.
1: I don't think I would have got yeah. into him.
0: Maybe you were real quiet about I probably it. Probably was real yeah. sheepish,
1: I reckon. Because, fuck, that's like just. Yeah, that's something. That's that, not you. No, no, it's not. And that's oh, I'm so disappointed in myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is not you. Okay, um, we're not here to talk about the bad times, but I want to go through some maybe times playing with Carlton that weren't as good. Um, I know that there were some big days there that were tough. Like, gee, some of the. the I always knew like okay, there were some days where we had our days off and we'd get those messages saying, boys, come into the club like ASAP. Is there any sort of days that not you when making light of now, but you look back and you go, geez, that was actually pretty full on?
1: Yeah, I do remember those those messages and stuff. But um, oh, I was probably a couple of times when the coach was under pressure and and just before they end up getting the flick. But I still remember the feeling before Mick got sacked, like those – few weeks leading up to that was, like, I fucking hated footy. I hated going to the club, like, trying to find, like, I don't think people understand, but trying to find an entrance into the ground where a camera wasn't going to be shoved in your face after a shit loss on the weekend and um, them trying to ask, oh, when's the coach going to get sacked or whatever, but trying to find a way into the club without a camera finding you and then a way out of the club without a camera getting put in your face every day for a couple of weeks, like, Felt like he murdered someone mm. or something. Like it's just – that's the really shit part of footy and the bit that I didn't enjoy. Um, so, yeah, that – those couple of weeks before Mick got the flick was – I was just hated footy and, and didn't want to be a part of um, – just didn't want to go to the club really. So um, – And then the similar thing happened with Bolts as well. A couple of weeks leading up, you so much pressure on trying to get a win on the weekend and then when it doesn't go how you want it to go and you just think, fuck me, here we go again. Um, Turn up Monday morning, there's news cameras everywhere and you're just like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're playing football here, not – and it just felt like they were headhunting – hated hunting the coaches and just and would not stop until there was a decision made on their future
0: yeah well i I don't know how many coaches you have been through but like I remember when I remember the day rats ended up I remember the day Mick finished and I wasn't there for bolts obviously but through those times like they are the most they, they you feel they are shit days you feel so fucking bad because yep. you actually do feel like it's your own fault like your yeah. fault yep. and yeah and it's it's shocking.
1: Yeah, it, like, it, and if you're not playing well on the weekend or just the team's not playing well, you f- do feel a little bit responsible that the coach isn't out there trying to get a kick. So, um, yeah, you and you, you respect these guys. You look up to them. They're your leader. Um, so, you, like, you're devastated when they mm. – the, the way they're being treated in the media, for one, but then when they they lose their job, like, you just you feel for them um, and just, yeah, as you said, it makes you feel shit ass.
0: It does. Yeah. Um- 18 years, how many opportunities would you have had to leave Carlton through your time?
1: Um, probably not too many. Like I usually got, oh, apart from the last five or six years where they were one-year deals and done in October. <laughs> that's I the, feel you. That's the shit time. The shit time. When, you get to, when you get to 30 plus, it's... One went on November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Couldn't find anyone else. Yep. So, yep, you can have a spot. Um, yeah, I think like... At the end of my second year, there was a, there was a real, like, I think I did sign in November, but there was a real point where they might not – I'd only played six six games. So I broke my hand uh, in my sixth game um, at the end of my second year, missed like the last two months of footy. Um, but there was a real question mark if the club had give me another contract. It was sort of like a, you've had two years, haven't shown much. Um and I, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I I, th- I got told that Hawthorne were potentially keen if um, Carlton weren't going to sign me the contract. But I was like, oh, if Carlton offer something, I obviously want to stay. Um, yeah, but other than that, after, after that year, I sort of established myself and signed a couple of three, three-year three contracts. Um, and, yeah, they'd usually get done um, – mid-year so there was not too and it was probably before the free agency Mm. and a lot of player movement was happening so yeah um yeah whether or not it was just i don't know people probably didn't really come after me whether they thought i'd never leave carlton or yeah i didn't really have like too many suitors out there chasing me i don't think um but yeah a lot of it was probably towards uh, before free agency um, and then once you're over 30, 30-odd, 30 there's not too many suitors out there for you. Yeah,
0: right. That, it must it must have been before that because I find it so hard to believe now if you look at yourself, if your career was 10 years later, so you still had another eight years to go, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, there'd be it'd be weird to think that another player will ever play 18 years for one club. Yeah, I, I,
1: yeah, I can't really see it happening. Yeah. Um, and and it's probably it's probably better. Like it's sad in a way, but it's beneficial for players long term that they can they get their they get what they're worth in the marketplace. Mm. So whereas if you sort of the way it was back then, it was sort of like you didn't have much power and uh, the clubs and had all the power. Now a lot of it's towards the players, and if someone's willing to pay you a lot of money, um, like you you're only in the game a short. Period of time, so I don't, I don't hold any grudges against players that want to go and try and set themselves up um, financially or chase success, any of that stuff. I think it's, um, it's all part of the game now, and and yeah, you end up with, uh, well, yeah, guys get get rewarded for their for their form.
0: Definitely, I think if anyone knew the answer to this, they would be in a very high position. But looking at it now, do you think there's a specific reason why? Carvin haven't been successful for a long period of time?
1: Um, I I do feel the Rattan decision was premature. I feel like we had a really good list in 2011. I think we finished fifth, um, lost to the Eagles by four points over over in Perth. Um, And then we just had a shitload of injuries in 2012. Um, Like we – I think we – First three rounds of 2012, we smacked smacked Collingwood by 10 goals. Someone else, well, I think we were almost flag favorites after round three. And then we then we played Essendon and I still remember like Carazzo broke his shoulder and we just had all these injuries to some really good players um, that just sort of compounded and then our form wasn't up to scratch. But I still feel like we had a pretty good list there that if we could get everyone fit um, – we would have still been in finals and I feel like that decision to get rid of rats was probably premature and just set off a I don't know I don't even know what the word is but it just kept cascading and um, yeah and then yeah I I feel like I've probably been pretty unlucky that I go get drafted to a, the most successful club yeah. ever in the AFL, spend 20 years there <laughs> <laughs> and they don't win a flag. Yeah. They've won 16 over 150 years, so that's yeah. one every 10 years yeah. and then didn't even get a look at one. Um mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm pretty stiff and unfortunately,
0: yeah, I've got to live with that. Nah, it's but You've done incredible things out, but I've got to agree. I think with the whole Rats decision, um, I wasn't young then, but I remember just going, geez, we're really not – not bad, you know, like the guys are actually going quite well. Um, if you look at the team that they had on paper then too, um, you know, like that was when Juddy was obviously early in his career. Oh, not early in his career, early in his Carlton career. Things could have been different, so who knows? But um no, it's 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 a definitely an interesting point. I think a lot of Carlton fans would agree. Um, but look, you never know. Who knows in the past. Now it's it's too far gone. I want to talk about your aesthetic. Okay, do you know what I mean? Yes. Okay. <laughs> your aesthetic on game day, your training kits, your – I feel like you have like a healthy OCD. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Like you would have to have – your locker would be immaculate. You'd have your chewies in your in your locker, things hanging up. You'd crack it at me if my bag was one centimeter over the line. You'd wear specific kits to training. If it was cold, you'd wear a long sleeve with your beanie. If it was warm, you'd wear your short sleeve with your shorts. You'd have your socks done the exact – Uh, length every time. You'd have your white tape put under your socks with your boots. You'd have about 13 inner soles in each shoe. (laughs) Have I missed anything else?
1: Um, No, that was most of the ones at the club, yeah. Um, Then there's other things in life. um, I I was hoping they'd finish once I retired, but um, I always have to have my radio on like a certain volume number which I, I think a lot of people do but mine if I once I get out of the car it's got to be left on six but when I'm listening to music it's always in like oh that's got to be a number that I like or it's got to be a multiple of five so 10 15 20 and then numbers are like uh like 23 um yeah those sort of things.
0: and those numbers do they have are they representative of someone like Michael Jordan or are they footy players that you've played with because there's guys that oh, I don't like that I've played with it, I don't want to put their number on the radio. Yeah.
1: yeah. Similar you ever that. have it on so, seven? Uh, well, seven's so close to six. What about though?
0: 43 when you're really pumping oh, it?
1: 43. I don't know if it ever gets that louder. <laughs> <laughs> but, but every now and then i probably put it on 43 for Simon White.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, what about the running out, running, out, running out last thing? What was that to do with? Was that just a superstition or um, when did that start?
1: Yeah, I actually don't know. I, when, even when I was younger, so Fev was always last, so I was second last. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as Fev left, I took the mantle of being last. Um, yeah, but I hated whenever I had to fill in as captain or milestone games I had to really be at yeah. the front. So, um, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, like I've watched a couple of games, I just sort of – just keep an eye on who's sort of well, did, who, there's like someone that
0: does it. Is it Samo? I think Samo which I'm wrapped about. Because Samo tried I remember watching it as just as Facts obviously, when it finished, and I'd always see like the boys come out, you were there last. Then you'd be waiting for someone else and like Samo was sort of trying to get last, <laughs> but you'd never let him. Um, I don't know if he was, but
1: like it was, it was sort of every, I think everyone just knew, but it was like last in the meetings, last, last out on the ground, last into the rooms, like at halftime or after the game as well. I'd be usually last, um, heading down the race as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't even know where that one came from, but other things didn't, didn't touch the banner, um, either.
0: So what if it accidentally flicked you on the way through? Yeah, it'd be a bad day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nah, it wasn't too much. Like I always, I had a thing like, because I didn't want, it to affect my footy. So yeah. I hadn't. I always had an out. Um, so you know how people sort of go, oh, touch wood. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, So I sort of had that, but I'd do it with my footy. Yeah. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, three yeah. times on, yeah. my, on my head. So i probably look religious at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was just – so that would be if something went wrong in my prep, whether it was, yeah, the banner flicked me or whatever, you might have just seen me touch my head three times. Just and that to, it cancels it out. Yeah, that cancels yeah.
0: it out. Yeah, no, I can definitely feel that. I mean, I, I honestly do the same thing. I think it's a lot com- more common than we think. So, talking about the meticulous preparation, um, obviously, you once you cross out white line, you're a new man. You are on. You are absolutely on. You're everyone's favourite teammate to play with. What's it like when you're in the warm-up and Nick Holman <laughs> boots the ball into your face in the warm-up? Uh, Do you remember this day? Oh, I've, I've never seen you angrier. Just to put into context only, here, we're, we're lining up, I think it was against Hawthorne or Adelaide. I can't remember who it was against, but...
1: Yeah, I prob- was probably concussed. And 100%. I-, I had a shiner. That whole <laughs> yeah. game I had like Sharon imprint on my eye.
0: We don't laugh about this because it is obviously concussion and stuff <laughs> now. Uh, it's always been, but concussion is obviously high profile. But this – Day Like Nick Holman, as you said, we're lane kicking from, you know, the junction to the um, goal square and you've kicked it to Holman. Holman's marked it. He's running to kick it back to the next person and he's just booted the ball straight into your face. You've dropped. I thought you were out cold. Yeah. You were still spraying him from then <laughs> till after the game. <laughs>
1: um, oh, I was concussed. I don't remember. <laughs> um, footy's hard enough to, <laughs> to play <laughs> and to perform And you try and do it when someone boots a footy two minutes before the game starts. The
0: reason I bring this up is it actually happened even worse (laughs) to you in Fremantle. Yeah. Ed Curno of all people. Two blokes that just cannot even drop the ball on their boot properly. Just pick it up,
1: Ed, for (laughs) fuck's sake. Seriously.
0: What did you say to him after that game?
1: Fucking pick it up and handball, Timmy. Um No, I was actually embarrassed by that one. Like it it flushed me so much and all I heard was the crowd just, oh. So I fucking got it. I've made sure I got up straight away and fucking seeing stars. But I worked so hard to make sure I got a kick within the next 30 seconds. Straight back into it. Ended up getting a mark out in the wing. I was just like, fuck, thank fuck. I've got the ball here. Oh, my God. I felt like it hit me. I don't even know where it hit me, but like. Later that week, I had like all this bruising coming out of my nose. So lucky it didn't just pancake and just bust my nose, splattered all my across my
0: face. Um, mate, to, to finish up the footy part, I want to know favourite teammate you've played with, favourite coach, and your favourite opposition player. So favourite teammate, favourite coach, favourite oppo player that you played on or against or battled with.
1: Favourite teammate, so present company excluded, obviously.
0: Present company excluded, obviously, yes. <laughs> yes, obviously.
1: Uh, Favourite teammate, um, oh, there's guys that i played so much footy with, like um, Gibbsy, Murph, those sort of guys. Eddie, Be- love playing with Eddie um, before he left. Uh, just all those guys that, like, they become your best mates off, off field as well, so I was drafted with Brad Fisher, so obviously really close with him. Um, yeah, then played over a decade with guys like Murph, Gibbsy, Walks. Um, yeah, so those sort of guys are probably um, right up there, and and guys that you still now I'm probably starting to catch up with again more now that footy's sort of finished. You sort of get once you when you're on a footy schedule and your teammates have, have left the club, it's it's hard to catch up. Mm. They, they never align, but now that I'm away from that. I'm um, starting to catch up with those sort of guys now again, and and probably Jordan Russell's another one from that group. Favorite coach, like I don't know, I feel like I've always I've always got on well with each coach, and um, it's almost I reckon. that Actually, I was thinking about this the other day that with so many new coaches coming in, like I always felt like I had to prove myself again. So it probably helped with my longevity and and my form, and like I f- I felt like when Mick came in, I'm like fuck it prove myself again um and bolts came in i was like "Geez, i have got to make sure i run a pb day one make sure i impress the coach and all this sort of stuff um yeah i don't know I've got a favorite coach um whew. do i have to say one
0: no you don't have to say one it's more even just maybe if you know we'll get into coaching later but what one have you maybe learnt the most from in terms of of what you would be or what you would be yeah. not be
1: um I reckon I'd take a little bit away from all of them. Like I remember even Dennis, my first coach, like playing and not just – so even playing when you're like sore or injured, like not just going out there and like making an excuse for yourself, like still trying to actually perform um, while injured or sore was a, a big thing I took away from Dennis. Like he was pretty old school and there was no like you shirk sure a contest, you'd know about it from him. Um, so that's probably one thing I took away from him. Um most like recently like bolts his work ethic like I he second to none easily worked the hardest out of any coach I had like it was I don't know I don't know if he even slept like it was unbelievable the amount of hours and stuff he he put in um he was so driven to do well as a senior coach so um yeah it's sad that he didn't um it didn't go his way the
0: bolts thing and, uh, you know, you you would know a lot more about this than me, but the thing still doesn't sit well with me because I know he loved that club so much. Yeah. Like, he, he all we wanted to do was be successful and I feel like the success that is coming, obviously Teggy's awesome, he's going to do a lot of things, but a lot of those fundamentals will come from Bolts. Yeah. Like, I, I've never and, – and I'm saying this is coming from someone that d- played three games under him. You know, I realistically ended my Carlton career under him, but I've learned things from him that I've taken into my life – post football like mindset you know um like you said before not making excuses meticulous like he was just so relentless on the littlest things which in one way was his biggest asset but in another way it was nearly his undoing because so many guys just couldn't keep up with it
1: yeah yeah it was um a phenomenal like his work ethic yes as I said second to none but um yeah I took a a lot away from him and I was probably a little bit old school still when he got there, it was um, and he probably taught me, yeah, just some more chill out, um, control the controllables, that sort of thing, so I don't get frustrated with things that I couldn't control. So my whole probably demeanour and um, the way I looked at mistakes and stuff out on the field probably probably changed a lot and um, I probably relaxed a little bit. As I, as I got older, I probably saw the game a lot differently and, and – I um, still had that competitive thing about me, but it wasn't the be-all and end-all. Um, like I wanted to enjoy football, not just see it as a, a job and because, um, yeah, it can get pretty consuming. Um, so, yeah, I sort of realised later, later in my career, I wish I'd sort of done it earlier, but, yeah, that footy wasn't the be-all and end-all.
0: 2020 comes, uh, 18 seasons down, 342 games of AFL footy and then retirement. How'd that all come about? How does that sit with you now? Um, what was what was the the end of the career like? And and yeah, talk us through what you know sort of transpired at the end of twenty twenty.
1: Um, yeah, I probably still it doesn't like. I still wish I was playing like a hundred percent. Do
0: you still reckon you you could play this year? Yeah, I think you definitely could.
1: Yeah, that's and that's where it's funny. Like even now. Like for some stupid reason, I like I would still run and flog myself and, and I in the back of my head I'm like, oh, just imagine if someone now when you've got like mid-season drafts and all that sort of stuff, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fit still that if someone did <laughs> just come knocking wow. I would actually – I'm ready. I wouldn't be like, oh, fuck, I haven't done a thing in six months. And then that's just a stupid thing in my head that I'm – I'm still, fit, like, I still think, and it, it got worse as, like, round one happened. I was like, fuck, and I, like, went for this fucking massive run. <laughs> uh, That's incredible, man. And then round two again, like, just I've, I've hated watching the boys play. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, like, and even the way the game's played as well, this year's a lot different to last year, which, again, would probably suit, feel like it would suit me as well. So, um, yeah, I haven't. I'm dealing with retirement, but I haven't dealt with it as well. Um, so it's just a process that I'm going through, and yeah, I'm sure everyone's got. And I, it's funny, like everyone's like, "Oh, it's good to retire with a little bit left in the tank," and i was just like, "What? That fucking makes no sense to me." Like, wow. I'll fucking run. I want to run that thing dry. Yeah, it's <laughs> like dying with money in the bank. Like, if you've got money, like you're gonna spend it, aren't you? You're not. Gonna- That's
0: incredible, man. I think you've <laughs> a lot of Carlton supporters are going to be very rattled and they're going to be very upset right now. So in all seriousness though, like if you if you a team was keen to come and play mid-season, you'd you'd actually consider it.
1: Um yeah, I think I'd consider it. Um I feel like I'd want like I wouldn't play just for the sake of playing like it yeah. need to be
0: specific role would be like someone
1: uh, no, i think just a team that's going to be challenging yeah looking like they're going to play finals um i yeah as as like i'll always be a Carlton person whether i came out of retirement whether i coach somewhere else so that doesn't matter i'll always be Carlton, but i still have that i still want feel like i've got something left i still want i still have the desire to compete and all that sort of thing um and that hasn't gone away um which I don't know, like I thought it might. I thought once it sort of settled in that footy was going to be no longer, it'd be a few months and then it would um, just, uh, just sort of disintegrate. Um, but it's still there. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of, yeah, I'm training, I'm I'm, I'm ready. But, <laughs> Jesus. but I'm also like – I know, yeah. I get like – I go through stages, like I smash myself, go for this massive run. And then I'm just like fucking snap out of it. You're a fucking has been. You're done. Um, so yeah, and I was like, sort of fighting with the fact: Do I play VFL this year just to see? And like, I don't know. It's just, mate. If you go
0: play yeah. VFL, I'll come. <laughs> I'll come play, and I'll play on your man again, as I did for, for six years. See, so, you know, I'm you I'm that I'm you. that aroused hearing that you are still keen to play football. It's not funny. I I genuinely not just saying, but you. I know you from. a you know, a, a long stint um, together and fuck to hear that. It's it's exciting. If any, a lot of teams listen to this show, see, this is the biggest sports podcast in Australia. Imagine, so there's going to be people listening. you got
1: me drafted again. What a story.
0: Jesus Christ. I, I don't even know what to say. No, it, it honestly I, is exciting, mate. But but with that then as well, how, oh, this is such an obvious question because I know it's going to be hard to even say, but how hard was it then to, to have to, to agree to have to hang up the boots when you probably didn't really want to.
1: Yeah, well, it was um, – oh, I, I'm pretty self-aware and, and probably going into the season, it was more of a chance that it was going to be my last one mm. um, than going on. But, yeah, I felt like the form was – was, like the form was never going to be career best. I'm 36, 36 years old, so – but I still felt I could play a role um, and still play a, a pivotal role. Um But after a couple of conversations with T.E. and staff, he was sort of talking and they had list management meetings. So T.E. was great. It was about maybe four or five weeks left in the season. We sat down and he just sort of wanted to see where I was at. And I said, look, I'm I'm pretty keen to go on, but I I understand football and I understand footy clubs. So... um, just and he said, well, "Look, we have got a list management meeting coming up, so we'll we'll discuss, and then I'll let you know as soon as we make a decision." Um, so it was probably a few weeks to go, maybe two or three left in the season, where, um, yeah, they the team had come to a decision, um, and I sort of I held off, I think, to the last week to to um, announce it. <laughs> I think it was sort of. I was going to do it earlier, then then Cruz came out, and I was like, "Oh fuck, I don't want to <laughs> let Cruz enjoy this with, like his week." Um, and then sort of it just got pushed back to the final round, and I would have been happy just to do it after the game. And mm. the club were pretty keen to to get something out there, so um, yeah, it was it was pretty hard. Like, um, but yeah, as I said earlier, like it, I understand footy, and I'm I'm a big boy, so um. There's got was plenty of depth in the back line and there's uh, they, if they knew they were getting Sard Williams, I would have given me the arse too. So yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to say because obviously there's we're both connected to the club and got friends stuff there, but I think that I definitely think you could have a, a, at least one more season where the boys are going and on a rebuild. I think we're going to be lying if we think that the Carlton were going to win a flag this year, and I th- that's just my opinion. I don't know anything about anything because that's shown through. I've done, but um, I think that knowing you and and when, what role you would have taken, even if it was something like a playing slash coaching role, um, and maybe you you know that you're going to be playing some VFL games or something like that, would would have been good. But again, I don't work at the club. Um, if you haven't, if you didn't know that, I, I'm not, I wasn't on the match committee or list management. Um, unfortunately, but it's exciting, mate. Because uh, as you said, fuck, if you fire still in the belly, I'm backing you in. Because I honestly. And I'm not just saying this now, and you know this, but the amount of love and respect I have for you, the way you go about, it, and how tr- how trusted, respected, loved you are by all your teammates, um, I don't think anyone would be backing you out because you've never really proved anyone wrong. No, that's what I'm saying. You've never proved the haters right <laughs> in the past. Not that there've been any, but you've. What I'm trying to say is, just fucking do it. And I'm excited <laughs> for it. If it's not to be playing. You're in coaching now at the moment, so that's something that is also a passion. Yeah, is there still fire in the belly to to be doing coaching full time? I think it's it's a lot different now with COVID and these coaching cuts. You've probably seen like last year, you're probably a walk-up assistant coach start, but now with what's going on, you probably have to take a longer route into that.
1: Yeah, and um, that's why I was sort of I was, I'm happy with what i so I've obviously done. Um, AFLW with the Carlton girls. So you're the forward line coach there. Ford line coach there.
0: Did you have to learn anything about that?
1: Well, just saying. Like, I think record score kicked uh, around eight, maybe. That's in the AFLW ever. Like, not saying that I was the influence of that, but.
0: It's good ball movement. (laughs) It's good ball movement.
1: Um, What were you doing? Were you doing the washing
0: machine there or.
1: Darcy Vessio won the goal kicking. Not like, oh, I'm just a forward coach. I'm not saying that I yeah, seem to okay,
0: do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good on the regimen. Very good on the regimen.
1: Um, no, I feel like doing sort of that because it is it's part-time obviously, so I'm still working and then do that after hours. But I feel like when I took the role there, it was the AFL landscape was still very uncertain and I didn't want to take a – Not that there was a role out there, but I wouldn't want to do a full-time assistant and then like almost be last one in, first one out if COVID spiked up again this year. So it was about trying to set myself up off field, um, dip the toes in the water with coaching. So doing just finished the girls' season um, and now going to do some stuff with Carlton Reserves as well, uh, backline coach now. Um, But I feel like that, yeah, it was good just to dip the toes in the water just to see if it was something that I – enjoyed and and wanted to do furthermore and so i have really loved it even i work eight nine hours um and then get to the club at sort of five five o'clock it's sort of like i'm wrapped to get there mm. and don't get home till sort of 9 30 10 o'clock but like i love the time there so i'm thinking if i'm loving it there I'd, that's something i would like to do again um and probably do on a full-time sort of basis. So. I think, yeah, coaching, If yeah, if it's not playing, it definitely coaching. Like I've 18 years in football, like it's sort of straight out of high school. It's sort of all you know. And then you sort of – when you're doing that, you're, you're looking like, fuck, what am I going to do? What am I going to do after football when maybe football is – Is the answer. Is the answer, yeah. um, which is – that took me a long time to come to that. I was sort of looking for, fuck, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm trying all these different things. And I was like, fuck, maybe – Maybe footy's in.
0: You got an 18-year degree. <laughs> You're probably pretty qualified.
1: So, yeah, so the last probably five or six years of my career, it was a lot around um, coaching and all those sort of little um, little courses, the PA runs and stuff, just to try and further educate myself and, and make sure I had all those sort of things ticked off, um, yeah, if coaching was the path to go down.
0: What sort of coach are you? I think I can answer this myself, you know, being played with you, you. You, you know the game better than anyone that I've played with what would be your style of coaching?
1: Um, yeah, well, as I said, like the back end of my career, I really changed my whole perspective. And, and I think with the players coming through these days, everything's about relationships and, and um, yeah, I, I feel like that's the main how to get the best out of players is having strong relationships probably away from football. And that's probably my style as well. Um I did a little bit of sort of welfare stuff at the back end of my career as well. And um, I feel like that's how I'd coach sort of trying to get the best out of players. So it's not that you don't give them the little clip when they need one. Mm. It's more just trying to, in- a lot of it's positive reinforcement yep. and encouragement and like no one is out there trying to fucking make a mistake. Like. Yep. And most players know when they fucking made one. So right. why do you need to tell them again? Definitely. So yeah, it's about just trying to, pick them back up after those mistakes so they can be better in that next uh, stage of play.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally I – we spoke to Caleb Daniel last week and and Sam Doherty are two people that I think were very much like yourself. You you, you nearly don't need coaches. You, I think in a way you were someone and it took you a while to probably realise that you were different to everyone else that actually needed coaching. I feel like you just sort of did your own thing because you knew what you were good at and you didn't really need a coach to tell you that you stuffed up you knew that you, you knew what you are doing um, whereas I still think there is a space in a game as much as it's about relationships I still think there is space though about hitting blokes between the eyes because I feel like these days you can be best mates so, so many coaches are the best mate here best mate there but unless you're actually giving strong feedback personally I don't think you can get better because some of the worst times I've had worse sprays and this is why I respect Bolt so much like he told me some home truths that really i didn't agree with but he followed them up and we had a meeting about him the next day and then we followed up a week later and it's about that follow-up the follow-up whereas a lot of coaches will spray blokes and then never bring it up again and that was the most annoying thing for me was like you're spraying me you're telling me i'm shit at this but then like you'd never speak to me about it again
1: yeah and you sort of you don't know where you stand yeah Um, and that's almost the unknown is the bit you dread like i remember if you're in a form slump or whatever, the worst thing, like you're just dreading like running into the coach or yeah. having to go do your review or whatever. And then you'd go and do it and the feels so much better. And you'd walk out yeah. and it's like, oh, my God, that wasn't even that bad. Like what
0: was I stressing about? Uh, one thing I realized, and I realized this like in my last month of footy, and I wish I realized this a lot longer ago, but it was what the anxiety you have towards a coach is at 100%. Right, it's it's quite high. You're always just – no matter how comfortable you are, you're always feeling anxious about that relationship. Divide that by 44 and that's what he's got to worry about. Mm. So what you're thinking about him is what like a 44th of what he's actually thinking about you. So like I wish I just didn't overstress that relationship as much because he was probably never worrying about me. He probably <laughs> got bigger things that he's worrying about than like our conversation.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, yeah. You, you stress about things, whereas if you just meet them head on. or Just have a chat. Yeah, go. Just, just walk in and they go actually and
0: like – I just wish – that my last like three months, I just, used to just go mm-hmm. and speak to Leon and Bolt and we'd have the best chats. And it was probably because I knew I was finishing, but it was always just like, oh, fuck, I wish I did this a bit earlier.
1: Yeah, it's so true. Like you go in – I remember like even like my first coach, so Dennis Payton's pretty daunting sort of human being, Um and he had the, the old grandstander carton and this – Dungeon of an office that was just off through, you couldn't get past his office <laughs> without getting to your locker. So you had to go down this hallway, and it's just the door was always open. He'd just, oh. so he just, and I just remember like I forced myself to go in there because I wasn't getting a game or was playing shit house, or whatever. Um, And once I went in there, like I actually didn't even say anything. They talk the whole time. They do all the talking. They talk. And you actually get so many answers without actually saying a word that you leave knowing where you're standing. There's no uncertainty. And you feel so much better for
0: it. Mick was the best for that. He's like, oh, I've been waiting for you. And you just sit <laughs> in and he go, tell you everything. You go, all right, thanks, mate. See you. <laughs> just walk straight out. Um, it's true. So to any coach out there, if, if Simo is playing with you next this year or coaching, just go have a chat with him and he'll let you know. Um, Sim, what's next for for you, my friend? I think we've touched on it again, but ideal world.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to yeah stay in football, but yeah, full-time basis would be ideal. At the moment, I'm working as a bit of a horticulturalist with a guy, but also doing a little bit of my own stuff as
0: well. So Sims mowing. <laughs> Sims. This this has honestly been a business plan for the last 17 years, I reckon. Yeah,
1: I'm not sure if um, I might get a letter from a lawyer soon, but um, yeah, whether it's just so we can clear, that's not the actual
0: name. Okay, yeah. Just in case someone... It's not the case.
1: Um, but, yeah, it would be a bloody good name. It would be. Um, so I'll maybe just get some shirts made up, but we won't actually trademark it or no. have the business as that. But, um, yeah, so doing a bit of gardening and garden maintenance and all that sort of stuff. You've
0: uh, always loved your, your landscaping, though, since yeah. forever. Like you had a beautiful garden. You had your jacaranda in your front yard, which I love jacarandas, <laughs> yeah. Jackie boys, yeah. beautiful tree. Yep.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think, like, Growing up, mum and dad were always massive into the garden and I fucking hated it like because it, it was a chore. So mm. dad would have me mowing the lawns or we lived out in Emerald where it was quite bushy. So like before fire seasons and stuff, I had to like pick up sticks and rake leaves, which just sucked. Um, mm. But then, I don't know, it just sort of it must have rubbed off on me that and I think when you get your own place as well, like and you've got yeah, your, you own, your own lawn and your own trees and all that sort of stuff, like, there's not much better coming home to it it's it's freshly mowed yeah it lawn, is a
0: man. very very pleasing feeling of yeah. of mowing your lawn watering and that's you know when I moved to Sydney I didn't have that and I really missed it because yeah. it's something that we would always always speak about but um now it's 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 a, it's a massive one. Matty Ra is actually a very big gardener I actually I've, saw him this morning he is working at the moment in Gold Coast as a groundskeeper yeah. uh, for a golf course
1: I did know he was gonna so I said before that I did a little bit of welfare stuff, so I sat in on quite a few of like the meetings with young hopeful draftees, yep. um, and Rowley was one of them. Um, and yeah, he said that he was a keen gardener, and I, my, eyes, my ears pricked up, yeah. and my eyes were—I had Matty real eyes where I was. So you loved <laughs> him first, yeah, and I was like, "Oh,
0: going to be a good play this He <laughs>
1: Can come have number
0: six at the board." Um, are you happy with Zach Williams in the six? Yeah, so Zach um text
1: me uh before like it was all announced so I really appreciated that. But um yeah, no, i yeah, I'm pretty keen to sort of see it out there and he's a he's a fair player to be wearing it so um it'll be as quick as the Sixers moved in a in a short while. So um yeah, so I don't know. Does he wear yeah, I've seen him in long sleeves, I feel.
0: Uh no, he doesn't really wear the long sleeves as much anymore. He, would have worn like he might now. Long near. sleeves
1: at the so, yeah, it'd be interesting if I see a long sleeve. Yeah, six, that'd
0: be Samo's really rocking the long sleeve yeah. these days. Yeah, I feel the best.
1: and Samo um, do it regularly, but there's not much better than the the Navy long sleeve, no, I think, in
0: football. I used to love that one. Cade, yeah. mate, I honestly uh, cannot thank you enough for coming in today, my friend. It's been unbelievable. Um, as I said, mate, love you. Um, thank you for everything you've done for me throughout the your career and our friendship because honestly you've taught me taught me a lot about a lot about uh, work ethic professionalism and uh, i'm just blessed to call your friend and, and thank you for coming on having chat thanks for having me Baka. if that wasn't enough for you and you want even more you're in luck dylan friends is now on patreon dylan best friends An exclusive loyalty subscription featuring the debrief podcast of each episode and bonus Q&As from Patreon members like this. Do you have like a motto or quote that you like to sort of live by that's your main one?
1: There's one that I really,
0: really liked.
1: Um, So look good, feel good play good if you play good they pay good i don't know if you've heard the white tape above the socks yes so that was because of andrew mcleod My old man did the stats for the crows when they came to melbourne before everyone traveled and stuff like that so um so i went to heaps of adelaide games growing up and then i'm oh, mad andrew mcleod fan and he had always had an extra he wore two pairs of socks and a white sock would
0: show above his adelaide socks and I used like, it I was like Hey swag Yeah <laughs> <laughs> And there's plenty more Where that came from If you'd like to learn more You can head to Patreon.com Forward slash Dylan Friends Or you can head to The link in the show notes Thanks for listening to The Dylan Friends Podcast If you liked the show It'd be a massive help If you could like Follow Rate Leave a review Or even share with your friends The show is produced by Myself and Sam Bonza Damon Jackman From Creative Edge Films Is responsible for Audio and visual production the show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.